0: Hi, I'm Yusuf Zin. My latest TVO Today podcast is on how a Canadian ends up in a Chinese prison, and if he's even alive. Listen and subscribe to Extradition. Available now, wherever you get your podcasts. Help TVO create a better world through the power of learning. Visit TVO.org and make a tax-deductible donation today.
1: Who launches a cyber attack on a children's hospital? Late last year, sick kids faced just such a hit, and it was by no means alone. Another recent incident targeted the LCBO, presumably in search of users' financial data. Such incursions cost companies millions and strike fear in the hearts of anyone whose information may be compromised. Can cybersecurity keep up? Let's ask. Tracy Delaire, she's Director of Information Security at McMaster University. Neil Desai, Vice President at Magnet Forensics, and Senior Fellow at CG, the Center for International Governance Innovation. And Charles Finley, founding executive director of the Rogers Cybersecure Catalyst at TMU, Toronto Metropolitan University. Great to have you three at our table for a very timely and important conversation. Charles, to you first. Who the hell launches a cyber attack on a kid's hospital? Honestly.
2: Well, this is part of the new normal. And in fact, it's exactly children's hospitals and other critical infrastructure that are more and more becoming the target of cybersecurity attacks. We've seen attacks on hospitals. We've seen attacks on the energy infrastructure, transportation, communication, education sector uh, at all levels. So uh, ransomware attackers, which is what happened with uh, Lockbit attacking the uh, SickKids Hospital, ransomware attackers are looking for maximum leverage. They, are, they care only about money and the disruption of these important organizations. So attacking a children's hospital is, to them, without any scruples and acting, obviously, in, in, a, in a criminal manner, uh, is exactly what they think is going to generate the leverage to get a maximum
1: ransomware return. That's what I was going to ask, Trey. Is there no shame anymore? Like, even criminals have a code.
3: Well, they're cyber criminals. They want to make huh. money. So they're looking for opportunities to make money and create the maximum amount of incentive for the organization to pay the money so they can get back to business. And so, uh, you know, they are entrepreneurs and they are business people trying to make money and they'll go after anything.
0: Can you tell us how, how this works? If you wanted to attack a hospital, how do you do it? Sure, well I think one fundamental difference from from today's fraudster, the cyber criminal, and yesterday's, which which plays into the question you're asking is they don't live in our community, right? They don't have to look anyone in the eye and say, hey, I'm attacking um, an institution that keeps children healthy or tries to bring them back to health. Um, What's happening here is most of these attacks are emanating from abroad, often in countries that don't have extradition treaties or any sort of normalized relations um, with countries in the West like Canada, the United States, the UK. So, you know, I think people assume to to be a cyber criminal today, you have to be a technical savant. And the reality is you and I can go on the Internet right now and find very simple attacks and play a volume game to see who um, um, will fall for my trap, for my phishing scene, for my ransomware. And, And the challenge here is the most vulnerable in society, that small and medium enterprise, senior citizens, immigrants... And institutions like hospitals and education and institutions who don't have expensive cybersecurity solutions today are the ones falling victim. These attacks are on all of us. Those who are falling victim are those who are the most vulnerable in our society.
1: But Tracy, it feels different now. I understand going after vulnerable senior citizens who are not sophisticated perhaps in these ways, that's been happening for a long time. Going after energy installations, Mm -hmm. nuclear power plants, Mm -hmm. is this different now? It feels like it.
3: It is different and I think part of that comes from our society and the world is different. So the way we operate, everything's interconnected. Everything's using technology to run our systems. So our our world's different and What threat actors are doing then, our cyber criminals are doing is different, and we're feeling and seeing that difference. And I really look at, we have a very interconnected ecosystem of what people do, the technology we use, and our processes. And so our approaches have to really tackle all different fronts, um, not just the technology, but how we uh, behave and act in our world today.
1: How vulnerable do you think our major institutions are right now? I think they're very vulnerable. I think they're vulnerable... Uh,
2: because investments, you know, need to be made. There's been good uh, investments. There's been good movement by governments at all levels. There's been good movement by public and private sector organizations, but much more clearly needs to be done. The international uh, cybersecurity threat environment is extremely serious. Building on Neil's point, the you know, the fact is that these ransomware attackers are attacking from Uh, Jurisdictions like Russia, like Iran, like North Korea and Canadian institutions like SickKids Hospital are at the front lines of an international global cyber conflict that is happening. And we have to look at it that way and we have to invest meaningfully and purposefully with that broader view in mind. Are we at war, Charles? War is, you know, is a is a complicated. But it's cyber war. Word. It, it certainly is. It certain. Listen. It is a, It is certainly a, a very dangerous dynamic that puts our most vulnerable uh, populations at at risk. And we need to take a focused all of economy, all of society approach uh, to this extremely challenging dynamic. Going to pick up on
1: that in a second. First of all, we've got a 2021 cyber threat bulletin from the Canadian Center for Cybersecurity, and here's what they found. In the first half of 2021, global ransomware attacks increased by 151% when compared with the first half of 2020. In Canada, the estimated average cost of a data breach, a compromise that includes but is not limited to ransomware, is $6.35 Canadian dollars. The Canadian Centre for Cybersecurity has knowledge of 235 ransomware incidents against Canadian victims from the 1st of January to the 16th of November, 2021, more than half of these victims were critical infrastructure providers. It's important to note, however, that most ransomware events remain unreported.
0: How come, Neil? I think there's a number of reasons why um, organizations, individuals aren't um, reporting. Um, In the the enterprise space, um, there's a reputational risk uh, piece Um, There are insurance considerations. We're seeing the largest insurance providers now challenging claims, some getting out of the business wholly. Um, I think there is at the individual level, we're seeing um, seniors not wanting to lose their independence from their family and and being taken for a fraud often uh, puts fear into them. There's a, a number of reasons, but I think the most important thing that you highlight in that bulletin is the unreported side. We think we have a handle on this issue, and not just for Uh, concerted efforts not to report. I think there's so many more that just are unknown. You know, the amount of things I look at in my inbox every morning that I just kind of dismiss as phishing. If someone was knocking on my door to commit a similar type of fraud, my likelihood to call my local police is much higher than it is for all those phishing seams. We do not have a true societal understanding of the magnitude of this challenge. We don't. Why don't we? I think partially because of the nature of the um, threat actor. This is a voluminous game. You know, the technologies we're using in everyday business that you use here at TVO um, to automate a lot of things, the cyber criminal also has access to. And we end up in things like critical infrastructure because there's harm more than just money. If I can put a young child's health at risk, if I can take people off the energy grid for multiple days, these are things we've actually seen. The propensity to pay by management goes up, and that's why the number on those ransomware payments goes up. Cyber criminals, um, it was mentioned earlier, are business people. They're unscrupulous business people, but they are business people, and they will go where the rewards are, hmm. especially when the risks are low. Um, so they are coming to things like critical infrastructure because there's harm that can be seen beyond just
3: money.
1: You're at McMaster University. Yes, I am. Do you know if you've been hit?
3: Um, when we, we get lots of attempts that come to any organization, um, and we have tools that, watch these kind of attempts, sort of the knocking at the door that we talk about, um, through people sending emails, trying to get students, staff or faculty to click on things. And uh, we, with the investment of some resources, have been successful to catch that early and prevent and mitigate that. But what I will say is, is all organizations are having attempts at them daily, multiple times a day, sometimes multiple times a minute. And it's, it's you know being able to catch it early, prevent it early, um, and then if there is something, being able to to get back running again really quickly.
1: So let's assume Mac's been hit. You're at Toronto Metropolitan University. We assume you've been the target of various attacks as well. How do you stay ahead of it?
2: Well, you invest. You know, you invest in people, process, and technology, really are the key dynamics to keeping our society and our economy uh, safe. And, and we need to start with people. I mean, this is, a que- this is a question and a challenge about training people to meet the labor market shortage in cybersecurity. In the midst of all of these attacks that we're seeing and everything that you're talking about in terms of this growth in cybersecurity attacks, the growth in ransomware attacks, we are significantly understaffed in this country in terms of the number of cybersecurity professionals that we have in security operations centers working these problems. So we need to have a, have a personnel solution. We need to flood the zone with thousands more trained cybersecurity professionals. We need to do that right now. That's a key solution.
1: Okay, I'm gonna say something here that's gonna get me in trouble in the building, but I'm gonna say it anyway, because somebody mentioned here we need an all-hands-on-deck approach. And we, I think just in the last couple of weeks here at TVO, when we email, when we get emails from outside, at the very top of every email, there is a banner that now says, this is an email from outside the organization. Please be careful when you, okay? And it's only been two weeks since those things started showing up on our emails. We were talking about this the other day when we had a meeting. People aren't really paying attention to it anymore because they see it all the time now. And it may, sorry guys in the building, it may have a perverse effect of actually having us, you know, tune it out because we just see it all the time. Question, is that the helpful approach to getting a
0: handle on this problem? Yeah, I think it's one tool. I think education. Let's call it education is one tool. Um cybersecurity used to be the purview of like the three propeller heads in the back. Today it's the purview of everyone, right from the entry level intern through to Steve Pakin at TVO. You know, actually executives tend to be, um, you know, great targets because they're busy people, they click. I'm not an executive, just for the record. Sure. The, well, the well-paid the uh, on-air staff. <laughs> okay, that I am. <laughs> okay, yeah. I... So, so I think, you know, the education piece Charles is making is important um, across the organization, and it has to be done in a manner that, that's engaging. It can't just be one more task that I have to get through every day. That being said, I also think we have to be um, going deep. Um, so going wide, but also going deep. And I mean that both within organizations, but in society as well. You know, I, you earlier we talked about whether cyber today is war. I mm. actually describe it as a Hobbesian state of nature. Um, the social contract online is totally different than our societal contract. If someone steals $2,000 um, from my mother's home, Police investigated. But today, it really takes something like a $2 million threat to a, a bank in Canada that gets people moving because we have to triage in our public safety organizations. And I understand the why. <laughs> But that is rewriting the social contract. So, what we, you know, one place I think we really need to be uh, spending time on the education training um, is in the our police agencies, and I don't just mean the big national ones. I'm talking about small local, um, provincial. This all is an all thing. hands on deck uh, situation,
1: right? Uh, Sheldon, bottom of page two. Let's do the threat assessment here. The Canadian Center for Cybersecurity released a national cyber threat assessment. This is a report for the years 2023 and 24 and it summarized five key judgments. Here we go. Ransomware, they say, is a persistent threat to Canadian organizations. Critical infrastructure is increasingly at risk from cyber threats. State-sponsored cyber threat activity is affecting Canadians. Cyber threat actors are attempting to influence Canadians that could degrade trust in online spaces. And finally, disruptive technologies bring new opportunities and new threats to be sure. Let's talk, Charles, let's talk about state-sponsored cyber threat activity. State-sponsored. So, I mean, I think we tend to think of this as a bunch of kids in their basement just out of control. You're saying governments are doing this around the world now?
2: Uh, Yes. And
1: and your point
2: is is a very good one. We need to stop thinking about cybersecurity attacks, in particular ransomware attacks, as a teenager in their parents' basement Mm -hmm. spending their free time causing mischief. It is not that. It is a multi-billion-dollar global industry, Mm -hmm. operates with supply chains, operates with vendors, operates with sophisticated technology, research and development, highly innovative. And it operates with the tacit approval of sovereign governments that not only uh, endure uh, ransomware attackers operating from their jurisdictions, but want them to operate uh, from their jurisdictions. The Russian government has been very clear that they actually endorse the activities of a number of the ransomware attackers that are operating from their jurisdiction. So that's the, that's the fundamental dynamic.
1: Okay, you mentioned Russia and Iran before. We don't do this, do we? Does the Canadian government sanction this stuff? I don't
2: believe it does. I don't believe that the Canadian government, I the Canadian government certainly doesn't sanction ransomware attackers operating from Canadian territory. And Most of them don't. I mean, Mm -hmm. as we've discussed already, the fundamental dynamic here is that these are uh, ransomware attackers that are are launching their attacks from foreign jurisdictions where our laws do not apply and the opportunities to extend our laws to those individuals are not available. We are not going to be able to extradite cybersecurity ransomware attackers from Russia, from Iran, from North Korea. So they're operating with impunity. Gotcha.
1: Tracy, the Internet of Things, mm-hmm. how com- maybe we just take 30 seconds and explain what that is and how complicated it thus becomes as a part of this yes. discussion.
3: So Internet of Things are devices that we all have around, for instance, in our homes. You may have a thermostat, and when you put your thermostat in, you connected it to the Internet, you put in some kind of a code. That is an Internet of Things device, or your new dryer that you put into your house. Uh, In organizations, we have uh, devices that run heating and cooling in in buildings, alarm systems. They're all connected to the internet in some way. And it becomes really, really critical then that we are undertaking good practices to understand how to prevent that internet of things device from becoming a toehold for the cyber criminals. Because
1: they can hack into this.
3: Yeah, they're they're everywhere in, in all facets of our life. Gaming uh, systems that young kids run, the types of uh, devices that they have. So when people install them and put them in place and they're connected in their homes and in their workplaces, it's really important to have them segmented off of, mm. you know, in a special place in the network. You've got to put layers of controls in place so that they don't become a toehold. It's not often the thing that we think... Uh, cyber criminals are after, it's the toehold that they're looking to get in. Because
1: once they've got the toehold, what?
3: Then they can move around into an environment, whether it's in your home or in your business, and they're looking for what's of value, mm-hmm. what to carry out, whatever kind of exploit, and whatever motivation they have. And as cyber professionals, we are trying to think about, well, what are they trying to do? How do we put layers? To prevent them from getting in and it's not just technology it's people's behaviors as well Hmm. so you may get emails or those emails with the banners and it's reminding you to to look at that email and if there's a link in there and you weren't expecting it to not click on it so we can invest so much we want in technology we also need to invest in security culture building throughout society for vulnerable people in our businesses Um, so that it becomes a part of our life. It's like we're driving cars, we educate young people on how to drive. Uh, When I was driving in on the 407, I saw a sign reminding me to not uh, look at my phone when I'm driving. That's education, that's culture building. We need to do the same. In this world that we live in, that's super interconnected. And understand that if you're going to bring in a device in your home, like a doorbell that's smart with a camera, that's an IoT device that's a, a, a internet of things. An internet of things device, mm-hmm. that's a hook to potentially get in. And there's great advice on the Canadian Centre for Cybersecurity Get Cyber Safe site mm-hmm. that's meant for all citizens to get at to help you go in and understand what you can do to to make it safe.
1: I wonder Neil if you're seeing any evidence of <clears throat> a pushback against this. Our lives have become increasingly technologically complicated. Do you see evidence of people saying you know what, I'm just not gonna get a credit card, or I'm not gonna get that fancy kind of television set that
0: hooks me up to the rest of the world in lots of trouble.
1: You seeing any evidence of that?
0: Yeah, the, the greatest pushback I see um, is post-incident, right? So I mean, growing up, if your house was hit um, with uh, by a burglar, you then did the natural thing and got an alarm system, mm-hmm. right? And I think that's what we're seeing here. The challenges in some of these crimes, and we always, you know, I you know, and I'm not picking on the Canadian Centers for Cybersecurity, but cybersecurity is always talked about in a global context or a national context in dollars and cents. One of the most prolific forms of, of, of cybercrime today by statistics is child sexual exploitation online. Mm-hmm. That carries lifelong implications. Um, so, you know, I the interesting thing I find is parents of Silicon Valley, uh, children of Silicon Valley executives often aren't allowed to use the consumer-facing technologies. So a lot of the the things we talked about in the IoT world um, have a lot of standards against them, security standards and other ones. Um, Driverless car will go through rigorous testing. But Charles and I can create a technology in our basement today that targets children at six years old and uses behavioral psychology to keep them on that platform for hours, which is a great tool if you're a a child exploiter. Mm. And there is no standards. You know, I'll just give an analog kind of uh, parallel. You know, I happen to serve on the board of the YMCA in Canada, and we had to change our playgrounds every 10 years, even though they were perfectly safe. There was a standard there that says, hey, we want to preempt um, um, children hurting themselves, and we're going to make sure these things are safe. And we changed that at an extreme cost to a charity. But we can start a social network tomorrow with zero standards that focuses on capturing the minds of children.
1: Hmm. So preemptively getting out ahead of this is the way to go.
0: I would say that that building out, um, you know, we're now beyond the Web 1.0, you know, people talk about we're in the Web uh, 3 phase, and I think safety um, for the most vulnerable, and I'm not one calling for overburdensome red tape here but we need some minimum expectations of standards. Um, A lot of these technologies that are created targeting children, the data sits in foreign jurisdictions. So even when we know something has happened and we try to investigate a society through our police, there's lengthy treaty-based processes to get critical evidence to investigate. This is not just a technical problem, this is a governance problem, it's an international problem. Um, We have to start treating it more than just a a ones and zeros challenge. These are real human lives um, that are being compromised. Charles, do you see evidence yet of a pushback by people who think, okay,
1: we've gone too far, my life is too dependent on technology, I'm too vulnerable, I'm dialing it back?
2: No, I don't. Hmm. I see a a full adoption of a very broad and wide array of, of technologies that are increasingly connected to the internet that gather uh, increasingly sophisticated kinds of data uh, about their subjects and that, and that use that data uh, potentially for the benefit of the individual that's you know, wearing the device, but also for, uh, for other parties. And we're just, in my view, at the beginning of this we're going to see more devices that are more and more intrusive particularly in my view in the medical field and other kinds of wearables and other devices that are really going to cross the what we think of of the line of human autonomy and start to uh engage our our you know most personal uh beings and so this is this is a major major challenge so no i don't see a pushback to in fact i see an increasing embrace
1: in which case we need to do what in order to deal with the fact that this is not going to be less a part of our lives going forward it's going to be a bigger chunk of our lives going forward
2: we need to do the things we've just been just been talking about we need to focus on education we need to focus on training we need to focus on a culture of privacy and cybersecurity. and we need to you say we need to focus who's the we well someone's got
1: to educate us all who does that
2: well i think it has to be led by governments and i think the governments are doing a good job Uh, you know in initial stages uh, uh, in doing that, but I think it's, as we've talked about, I think it's an all of society approach. I think governments can lead the way, but I think the private sector and the public sector need to be involved as well. We all need to be engaged in this. It's gonna take every mm. one of us to be educated about best practices and all of us to uh, you know, adopt a cybersecurity culture that recognizes what the risks are, recognizes what the challenges are, recognizes you know, the role we all have to play Uh, in in finding solutions to this problem. So it's gonna be all of us.
1: At McMaster, Mm -hmm. you've got thousands and thousands of students there every year, and I bet they never think about this. Are you doing anything in terms of education to get them to heads up on this?
3: Yes, absolutely, and I would say too that I think the generation that's coming in, I have daughters that are in their 20s, they're, they actually are quite conscientious about cybersecurity and safety. You know, they they just finished post-secondary education. They were students on major campuses. And they're very careful of what they post and don't post. And they're like, mom, you shouldn't post those things. So I think okay, there is a generation- they're the only
1: ones. <laughs> Trust me, they're the only 20-somethings I know who are careful about what they post.
3: Yeah, so we do a lot at McMaster all the way from when students um, are prospective students thinking to come to McMaster. When they come on board, we have training, we have modules uh, that they can uh, take. We also are participate in uh, the annual Cybersecurity Awareness Month of October, and we run a campaign. We hate, hook into social media, which is where a lot of young folks spend their time, pushing out those messages and um, providing them with training and awareness campaigns. We make it fun, gamify it a little bit so that there's some contests that they can enter in so that it sticks and it's a part becomes a part of what they do. Also, I think there's a lot of opportunities we have ahead of us to work with um, students in both high schools, colleges, and universities to get them involved in building education awareness campaigns. Get out there. They all have to do community service as part of what they need to do. Um, I'm involved in a lot of women in technology kind of groups because we're looking at trying to build the next workforce of the future in cyber. And I think there's projects and initiatives we can collectively undertake. And um, I don't think we need to just wait for for governments to come in. Mm. Um, As cyber professionals throughout the marketplace, we need to get together and figure out things that we can do to get programs, let's say, out to... Seniors, get it out to the personal support workers who interact with seniors and help them make that phone call
1: to their Uh, kids. We're down to our last few minutes here and I wanna introduce artificial intelligence Mm -hmm. to the conversation now. How does that change the equation of what we've been talking about?
0: I don't think it changes it that much. It's a different technology area from from IoT. It's gonna enable things like IoT, but but it's gonna take us forward with more and more automation, um, less and less work are needed. But you know we, we've been talking about the glass half empty for this whole conversation, and let's talk about the opportunity side, right? A, a strong economy will have cybersecurity as a foundational piece to it, whether it's AI or technology, general technologies. The opportunity, if Canada is truly gonna be an AI leader, which a lot of folks want it to be, um, it'll require um, cybersecurity and trust to be foundational to, to the things we develop um, using these, these tools. I guess I'd ask the same question that I just asked uh, Tr- Tracy to you. You're at uh, Toronto Metropolitan
1: University again, right in the middle of a big city, thousands and thousands of students. Are they hip to this?
2: Yeah, I think they're beginning to recognize the the cybersecurity issues. It's obviously you know in the news every every single day, and there there are education programs at TMU just as there are. At, McMaster to make the students uh, uh, aware of what's happening. And just picking up on Neil's point, which I think is a really good one around the opportunity side. You know, there's an opportunity for Canada to be at the very forefront of cybersecurity uh, in the world in terms of economic development. It's one of the fastest growing sectors. And there are amazing companies that have grown up in, in Canada related to uh, cybersecurity. And we need more of that. We have all the pieces, uh, uh, we've got all the skills, we've got all got all the people here. Uh, all the ingredients to create a really world-leading uh, cybersecurity sector, and so that's something that's very, very exciting. So, just to Neil's point about you know we've been lo- talking about the th- the threats and the risks; those are absolutely true, but they also create this internationally needed opportunity that Canada can
1: really step into. I appreciate you don't want to leave the impression that the glass is only half empty. You think it's a little half full. But I must confess, having talked to the three of you for the last half an hour, I'm more terrified now than I was before, and I bet a lot of our viewers feel the same way. Tell us why we shouldn't be terrified at the prospects here.
0: You know, you should be terrified, but that's a, that's a posture, right? That if you if you, if you you let your guard down, right, what's different about cybersecurity and cybercrime relative to previous frauds are they're constantly evolving. You know, sextortion right now, we got a good chuckle of the... Um, um, the kids, but right now, one of the, the key themes that the FBI director talks about is kids of targets go, being gone after so that they can extort um, the parents who are prolific people. Um, it evolves every day, every second, actually, of every day, cybercrime is evolving. So if we have that posture, but then we bring both the glass half empty and glass half full perspective and say, this is not only a challenge for the world, this is an opportunity. We can start addressing that. We can start focusing our investments at the university levels, at the capital levels, um, at the talent levels, at, at all levels on the opportunity side. But you really can't start on the opportunity side when your key institutions that hold up your economy and your society, like healthcare, like banking, um, are underwater under this issue.
1: Okay, all hands on deck, as we have said. Tracy, Neil, Charles, thanks so much for joining us here on TVO tonight. Thank you. Thank you.
3: The Agenda with Steve Pakin is made possible through generous philanthropic contributions from viewers like you. Thank you for supporting TVO's journalism.